Before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness. An inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness brave men would not venture. For as the map says, here, there be monsters. Good evening and welcome to Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. Tonight, I'm once again going to order off the back of the menu. That's right, another a la carte episode. But before we place that order, a few announcements. Are you interested in aliens, the Jersey Devil, Yeti, demons? So am I. And I'd love to talk about it, but I need your calls to do so. If you've had a strange encounter, seen something unusual, or maybe witnessed the otherworldly, please share your story. Simply call the Here There Be Monsters hotline at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-6444. The way this works is simple. You call the number, wait until the instructions are given, then tell your story just as you would at a campfire or at a bar. Each call is limited to five minutes, so if you're cut off, simply call back and pick up right where you left off. I'll take care of the rest. Now, perhaps you don't have an encounter, but maybe you know someone who has. So please convince that person to call in and tell us their tale. Without your calls, there is no Here There Be Monsters podcast. On a more serious note, I'd like to address a point that was raised in a review left on iTunes. User pfarv. 234639 writes good but when you ask people to call and tell their stories it's irritating when after the story you're a huge skeptic and seems like you try to prove their stories wrong like it didn't even happen first off thank you pfarv for your review i appreciate all opinions after all i do this show not only to share experiences but to also entertain those that are listening that said I feel like I need to address this particular criticism. I am neither a believer nor a skeptic. It is not in my interest to sway the listener's opinion in either direction. I do, however, feel that I should present plausible explanations for each encounter, but those explanations are nothing more than grounded suggestions in an otherwise otherworldly field. I in no way intend to debunk any caller's story. I simply offer alternate explanations. I apologize to anyone that may see differently, but my current format is what I envisioned the show being, and I stand by that decision. But the last thing I want to do is make someone feel second-guessed or disrespected for sharing their story. Thank you again, PFAR, for your review and your feedback. Now, let's get on with the show. As I mentioned in the opening, 
Tonight will be a bit of a grab bag. A little Bigfoot here, a little time slip there. So, without further ado, our first caller has an intriguing story about what can only be described as a time slip, perhaps a time traveler. Let's give this a listen. Hi, Derek. Uh, my name is Nick, and I just want to thank you for doing this podcast. I think it's a terrific idea, and I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, anyway, my story is not about any monsters, um, and you finally convinced me to tell you about it. Uh, it's just this weird encounter that I had with my uh, teacher. See, I go. Um, I was attending fall quarter at a community college, which is now technically a college, of last year, and it was an 8 a.m. math class. And I'm sitting outside the classroom waiting for the uh, 7 a.m. class to get over. And so I'm waiting in this hallway, and I see my teacher walk out, as he usually does. And I see him, I specifically remember him walking down the hallway towards the bathroom to go to the bathroom. And then I immediately get up and walk into the classroom and I see him in there already uh, wearing the same clothes and looks the same except he's in the middle of a group of students and in the middle of a conversation with them so it's not like he could have rushed back there and it seemed like it must have been just a chunk of time missing or something like that and um, this other girl that walked in before me she even commented that wait wasn't he just like in the hallway so that was my uh, super weird experience and um, I hope you can use this on the podcast and I really enjoy it and thank you thank you Nick for calling in stories like these are not as rare as one would assume I remember hearing a story several years ago about a family witnessing a young soldier walking up their driveway that soldier was that family's eldest son Having watched him walk up the driveway, the family expected him to walk through the door at any moment. Yet, he never did. As it turns out, not only was he still in Germany, but he'd actually been killed in action earlier that same day. Now, of course, Nick's teacher did not die in this particular story. But it's just as thought-provoking as the soldier's story. I wonder if it was possible that Nick and the other witness simply saw a man that looked similar to his teacher and happened to be wearing the same outfit that day. I also wonder what Nick would have seen if he waited for the teacher to return from the bathroom. Either way, it's a fascinating tale. Thank you again, Nick, and thank you for listening. Our next call is about something yet to be discussed on Here There Be Monsters. Black-Eyed Children. Hi, um, so here's a story that recently happened to me. Um, so I was on spring break, meaning I went to my dad's for the week. I had nothing to do late at night, so I like to troll the town, kind of walking around alone. I know that seems dangerous, but I only had one friend there. So anyways, on Sunday night, I was out in the town alone, leaving a little pub that I found on Main Street, probably around 1 in the morning. Um, I was a little buzzed. Anyways, I wore a, a big black sweatshirt with like dark jeans so that I could maybe send off some creepers. I, I find that that works. So I was walking back home in the dark with my phone out as a flashlight on the street. And um, there's limited street lights. Um, although it's a pretty safe neighborhood, I figured nobody else would be out. 
I was about three houses away from mine when I looked over and I saw two figures on the porch talking to a man who was shaking his head and refusing to open the screen door. Um, I stepped cautiously at the end of the driveway holding my phone ready to either like help or call 911 or something. But I really had no idea what was happening. I could only think that maybe these two people were harassing the man who kind of looked angry and maybe a little bit startled. So. I, by all means, I, I didn't think that I was going to be able to help. I'm 5'6 and like 130 pounds, no fighting skills, but I just felt that maybe like my big hoodie would have made me look bigger and rougher, so I just stood there watching. And I heard the two voices, two kids that sound like I stepped forward, kind of looking, you know, looking over at this point. Um, I was kind of like involuntarily moving forward. I, I couldn't, I don't know why I was. I kept walking and I was like halfway up the driveway and illuminated, the driveway was like illuminated by the porch light so he could see me and I could see him and I just stood there watching. And I could hear the voices saying like, let us in, we need to call our mom. Please, you have to let us in. And these, it was like no sense of fear in the voice, um, just confidence and urgency, I guess. I stood there with chills running down my spine and I was unable to move and I tried to make the sense of the situation. And from a normal point of view, it would look like a grown man was refusing two children the help they needed late at night. Um, like he was some heartless man, like refusing these helpless little children. But the sense of dread that I felt at that moment, it just made no sense. Like, why is this guy so afraid of two little kids? So finally, I cleared my throat, figuring that maybe if this man wouldn't help the kids or the man needed help, I could still do something. So the man looked up and the kids turned around and the man looked even more afraid. At this point, he let out like a yelp and slammed his door and made me jump. And the kids looked at me and I looked straight at them and every like every instinct that I had was telling me to run for it. I was just almost home. I was just a couple houses away and I knew for a fact that my dad left me the door unlocked so I could easily get away and get inside to safety. Um, the kids started coming closer and I could see them better in the light and when I realized that they had like a white and they had no white in their eyes it just was black and um, they slowly kept coming toward me, not asking for anything. They didn't ask for help, but they just looked confused, and I was confused. And I don't know why I didn't run. I feel stupid for saying this, but I didn't. I wanted to, but I was compelled to stay, and then the taller child was right in front of me. He was only a few inches shorter than me, and I glanced down at him, and in, like, a startled moment, he stared back up at me, and he's like, we have to use the phone. And his voice was eloquent, I guess, would be the way that I would describe it. He knew what he wanted, and for being alone with a stranger at 1 a.m., he did not seem at all afraid. And I said, I don't have one. And I, I kind of backed up because I didn't want to be that close to him. But I still couldn't run, even though I wanted to. And then he said, please, can we come in and use the phone? We need to get hold of our mom. And like all my instincts told me to lie because 
I, I don't think at, at this point I could outrun them because they were right in front of me. So they told me that they needed to call their mom, and so I, I, my instincts were basically to lie. So I just said, I don't have a phone, and I don't live on the street or anywhere near here. I'm sorry. And I could tell, like, my voice was kind of shaking um, just because I was so nervous. And I was like, I'm in the same boat as you guys. You know, my ride ditched me. I'm just walking until I find a phone, too. So I figured that maybe, like, they would leave me alone if they, like, believed that I had nothing. And it was not until around this time, this point in the night, when I kind of remembered um, something that I had heard about the black-eyed kids. But I still kind of refused to believe it. And I, but then I also refused to help children, like, that were staring at me, standing there, it's like you would think harmless children, but I just, I don't know. So anyways, so they were like, please help us. Like we need to be let in. And I was just like, I don't know, try another house or a pay phone. I have change if you want it. And they were like, no, forget it. And I was like, I'm sorry. I wish I could help. And they were just staring at me blankly. So I don't know. I know I look younger than I appear, especially with, like, a big hoodie. So I figured that maybe if they thought, like, I was only, a, like, a teenager that they kind of let me off. But they both kind of nodded and then stared. And I was like, all right, well, I have to go. Good luck. And I turned and walked in the direction that I came, not running. And I just kept thinking that they can smell fear, they can smell fear, they can, they can smell fear. So I walked, and I did not reach for my phone, I just kept walking. And I must have walked like three or four blocks from my street. And I turned around and headed back, and my heart was just like pounding like crazy. And I walked up my street hesitantly, kind of looking for the kids and not seeing anything until I reached the house again. The porch light was still on, and the man was standing there with the door open, screen door closed, holding a baseball bat, and just like shaking. And like our eyes met, and I looked at him confused and until I realized like that I looked like one of those kids and that's why he was so scared and he's like because I was wearing the hoodie or I said I I called out did the kids leave and um he was like the ones you were with earlier and I kind of jumped back again I was like the ones that were outside that talked to me for a few minutes and they wanted to call their mom, did they leave? Do you know if they left? And he was like, I watched them walk away earlier. I don't know, I just, I feel uneasy and I won't let you in. And I was like, okay, well, I have to go home. I don't need to be let in. So anyways, I don't go to my dad often, so it makes sense that he wouldn't recognize me even in the dark, but I walked home and I got there safe, no like weirdness, and I locked the door and I sat in the kitchen for like a long time. And I was afraid to go in my room because there was a huge window in my room. And I was just really afraid to see what might be looking back at me through the window. And the scary part is the next night there was a knock at the door at like maybe 11 p.m. And I didn't answer because my father told me not to. He said it was late and probably no one that we wanted to talk to. But I just can't help but feel really uneasy about it even until this day like wondering whether they had come back for me the next day so anyways 
I just thought that that was a very crazy story and wanted to share. Love the podcast. Um, keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Awesome. Thank you for calling in. I'll be honest, when I first heard about the black-eyed children phenomenon, I had a really hard time believing it. It seemed a little far-fetched to me that packs of possessed children could be roaming the streets asking to gain entrance to homes and businesses. But I have to admit, a lot of these stories sound very similar, so perhaps there is something more to them. Thank you again for calling in, and I gotta say, it was a very smart move not opening that door. Our next story was submitted way back after the first episode. I've just been looking for a great place to wedge it in, and this seems as good a place as any. So here it goes. This occurred in 1977, about four miles southeast of Duval, Washington, on Big Rock Road. I met a man named Cliff Crook, who was a local Bigfoot tracker. Cliff used to invite me along on outings to investigate reports from locals, or to check up on spots he'd experienced activity before. This particular outing was to check up on an area where a family had reported multiple sightings and claimed that they'd been feeding Bigfoot table scraps. They also claimed that their dogs would take off at night into the woods and come back smelling pretty bad. Skunky, but not from a skunk. As we rounded the corner that their driveway was on, we saw in our headlights a single eye shine from their horse and a good foot and a half taller two eye shines from something standing near. Near, but behind the horse. We stopped in the middle of the road and watched a very large outline of something on two legs walk away from us, across the pasture, and step over a five-foot-high barbed wire fence. Then it crashed through the brush on the other side of the fence with no effort at all. We figure it must have been between seven and eight foot tall. This night, I turned from open-minded skeptic to being convinced that these animals exist. Thank you so much for submitting your story. You know, I imagine there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these stories just like this out there. You know, I'd love to hear every single one of them. Now, as for this story, my initial thought was, perhaps there is an owl sitting on the head of the horse. Uh, I don't know if that happens naturally, but it's one plausible explanation. But then, when the writer describes the beast walking away, that kind of takes that out of contention. So either way, uh, thank you so much for your call. That story segues perfectly into our next story. This particular one comes to us from my home state of Ohio and was found on YouTube. I thought it was too good not to share, so here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'd like to tell you the story of the time I saw Bigfoot. I was eight or nine years old. It was 1992 or 1993. I lived with my aunt, my uncle, my two cousins, and my mom. It was the middle of summer. I was on summer break. They told me to take the trash out. It was just about dusk. I wish they had never told me to take the trash out that day. Because I was taking it out. I was about to turn around and come back to the house. Out of the tree line across the street stands something that's about seven to seven and a half feet tall. It had brownish, blackish fur or hair. I can't really tell the difference. And its face looked like a mix between an ape and a Neanderthal's face. Kind of like just a really primitive looking human face and it's standing there holding a stick that's about this thick might as well call it a branch it's about 7 feet long itself and it's just standing there 
looking at me. And I swear I wanted to run so bad, but my body froze up on me. And my aunt, my uncle, and all them would tell me, if you ever come face-to-face -face with a predator, don't run. It will chase you down and it will attack you. I'd say this thing's about 600 feet away from me. I'm not chancing running and making this thing come after me. It looked like it had enough muscle and power to rip a tree out of the ground and throw it at me if it wanted to. So what I did was I stood there. It looked at me. I looked at it. I couldn't see its eyes because it was too far away. But then it just kind of turned its lower body and its upper body turned afterwards. And it just took that branch and smacked it into one of the pine trees and broke it clean in half. And it kind of turned back and looked at me like, get the message? I'm like, that scared the living crap out of me because I know for a fact nobody I know could do something like that. And then it just walked up into the wood line. As soon as I couldn't see it anymore, I jetted back into the house. I slammed the door behind me. I fell to my hands and knees, catching my breath. That's the fastest I had ever run in my life. One of my cousins looked at me and goes, You're pale as a sheet. What happened to you? <sighs> Saw Bigfoot. Saw Bigfoot. She's like, You're crazy. There's no way it could be Bigfoot. It was a bear or something like that. I'm like, We've never had any bears around here, and this thing was carrying a branch with it and walking on two feet. She's like, she goes, runs, looks out the window, doesn't see anything. Of course. But after that, I did not want to go back outside anymore. I didn't want to play in the backyard. You could barely get me to go into the pool out there when there was people with me. No way I ever, hardly ever, went and played frisbee with my friends over across the street in our neighbor's yard because I saw that thing there. I'm not going anywhere near that area if I can help it. There was a couple times I'd hear tree knockings after that. And one time, I swear something was watching me, but I never saw anything. The time I saw it, I didn't smell anything. The wind wasn't blowing. There was no way I could. It was too far away from me. But after that point, no more. No more going outside by yourself. It wrecked me as a child. It did. It ruined going outside and playing outside because I always felt like something was watching me or something might happen. I never went out by myself alone after that. It's a life-changing experience when you see one of these things. I almost wish I'd never seen it. At least back then. Now, I'm more interested in it. I understand what I saw. But for a kid to see something like that, it's scary as hell. Having grown up in Ohio, encountering a Sasquatch while taking out the trash is about the last thing I'd expect to have happen. The witness sounds very sincere, and in my opinion, he believes every word he's saying. So that would indicate that he actually saw something. What that something was, however, is still up for debate. Perhaps it was a friend in a suit. Perhaps it was a misidentified animal. Or, perhaps, it was the elusive beast itself. Well, that does it for tonight. I want to thank you all so much for listening. 
and thank you to all my callers, not only tonight, but over the past 12 episodes. So let's keep the party going. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Head over to the website at www.heretherebemonsterspodcast.com and check out the show notes for each show for additional info. Support the show by visiting my Etsy page, The Rag and Bone Emporium. Pick up a pair of human bone dice made by the infamous Ed Gein or an authentic early 19th century vampire hunting kit. You can find a link to my shop at the show's website or by searching The Rag and Bone Emporium on Etsy.com. As a gift to my listeners, punch in the coupon code MONSTER for 5% off your total purchase. Don't forget to call in with your own personal story. The more you call, the better the show gets. Lastly, head on over to Cryptopia.us and check out the blog. Alright folks, have a great night. Thank you again for listening. And until next week, 